invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Recognize we did not pray this morning for um, our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and uh, other places in the world. And just encourage you to come back this evening and uh, we will be uh, particularly praying for those needs uh, tonight. As, as um, we have so many uh, brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering gravely and uh, our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, of course, um, at this time as well. So I just invite you to come out tonight as um, we will pray specifically for that. Let's give our attention to God's word here now in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading to verse 17, but we're going to be uh, focusing on verse 25 through the end of the chapter. Let's give our attention to God's word. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore having put away falsehood let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Father, I thank you that you speak to us through these pages and these words. And Lord Jesus, I pray you'd give us ears now to hear this word and to gladly receive it, to be trained by it, and we'll give you the thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, boys and girls, uh, i got a question for you this morning as we begin. The question, boys and girls, is how do you tell the difference between a duck and a chicken? How do you tell the difference between a duck and a chicken? Because from a uh, distance, they look quite similar. They're about the same size. They both have feathers. Uh, They both have two legs. They both lay eggs. Uh, it would be easy to confuse the two from a distance. But uh, if you get up a little closer, boys and girls, right, you'll notice that ducks have, their bills are different, a little longer and, and more flat, and their feet look different. They got webbed feet. Uh, but if you really want to see the difference between a duck and a chicken, just throw them both into a pond of water. <laughs> right? Because uh, the duck was made for water and will love the water. Uh, The chicken was not made for water, it was made for land, and it will make uh, every effort to get there as quickly as possible. Well, in uh, this letter um, that Paul has written for us, uh, we see that just as a duck was made for water, a Christian was made for the church. And that um, just as a duck's identity is revealed in in the pond, 
the authenticity of a profession of faith is manifested and revealed in the context of the church, in the Christian community. Uh, that's the point that Paul is making uh, here in this part of his letter, that if you want to see the, the reality of a true profession, that, that will be seen in the context of the church. It will be seen in the pond of the community of faith. Uh, in the previous verses, we, we saw that uh, God in Christ has made us new people, a new man. The old man of sin has been put off. The new man of the Spirit has been put on. And this new man, this new person is being renewed after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's verse 24. And now in verse 25, Paul is going to show us what that true righteousness and holiness looks like in the communion of saints. So, so true righteousness looks like using your tongue in the company of the saints to speak in truth. Uh, it looks like using your hands to work so that you can give generously. It looks like forgiveness and kindness rather than slander or anger. Uh, you see, the, the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit will be moving a true believer into um, repenting of the things that God forbids and embracing the things that God commands. This is, a, this is a, what the Spirit does in our life. This is what the Spirit is pursuing in our lives. And so this morning we're going to be look at, looking at the marks of a new man, someone who's actually truly been made new. And, and if we go through these and you find that none of these marks actually identify you or belong to you, it's very possible you are not a new creation, that you have not truly been born again. And so this morning God would call you to repent and come to faith. The first mark that we will see, the thing that the Spirit does in the life of a true Christian, is the mark of truth. Verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbors, for we are members one of another. Notice Paul isn't saying put away falsehood. Paul is saying you've already put falsehood away. It's already been put away. And he's referring again to that same event we talked about last time um, of what we once were when we were in the old man and we lived in a world of lies, believed the devil's lies, shared the devil's lies with our friends. But when Jesus rescued us from that old way and brought us, he brought us into a kingdom of truth and light. Uh, the lights went on and we could see things as they really were. We could identify the lies and, and so we put falsehood away when we became converted. And this new life now is being formed by truth, the truth that is in Jesus, verse 21. And so this isn't, this isn't a command, don't lie. This is a warm gospel reminder that Christ has already rescued us from lies and brought us into truth, and now we're to live in accordance with this new reality. And so speak the truth with your neighbor, for we are members one of another. Uh, by neighbor, Paul means your, the people sitting around you this morning, your, your brothers and sisters in Christ. As he reminds us, right, we are members one of another. We belong to a body. We're a community, a family. And we owe each other then, as fellow members of the household of God, we owe each other the truth, the wonderful, clear Simple truth. The truth about ourselves, that we are sinners saved by grace, 
that we're, we're not yet wholly sanctified. God is still doing a work. We still need Jesus. We need to be honest about the truth about ourselves. Not, not pretending we've got it all figured out. We need to tell the truth about God, who He really is and what He, what he really is like. There are so many lies being told about God today. The health and wealth preachers will tell you that God just wants you to flourish and be wealthy. That's a lie. Uh, Preachers will tell you today that that God has no problem with your sexual sin of, of whatever nature it might be that that's just part of being human that's a lie god uh, there, there are ministers maybe who suggest that um god really isn't that concerned about your sin at all he's just concerned about your emotional well-being and and that you reach your full potential that's a lie we owe each other the truth about who god is and what god is really like and that god actually is a consuming fire and yet more gracious and ready to forgive than we ever imagined. We need to tell the truth about the gospel, uh, the the truth about the necessity of repentance and and the essential importance of faith and the riches of grace for everyone who confesses their sin, the treasures that are in Jesus for all those who believe. These are the truths that we need to speak to one another. We need to tell each other the truth about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. The necessity of following our Lord, of claiming Him and, and obeying Him, even when it's unpopular or hard. We need, to, we need to talk the truth about faith and repentance and obedience. You see, these are the truths that we learned in Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, if, assuming you've heard these things, this is the truth that is in Jesus, and these are the truths that we owe to one another as members of the household of God. And so the first mark of a, of a truly converted person will be this mark of truth. They will desire the truth. They'll want to know the truth. And they will speak the truth according to the Word of God and according to Jesus. The second mark is the mark of generosity. The mark of a generous life. I'm going to skip 26. We'll come back to that in a moment. Let's look at verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Corruption and theft were just a normal part of life in Asia Minor. Uh, The poor stole because they were hungry. Shop owners routinely um, cheated their customers with false weights. Judges stole by demanding bribes. Laborers would often find ways to steal from their employers. Uh, Theft was an accepted part of the culture of the day. And it is increasingly becoming an accepted part of our culture in our day as well. If you can get away with it, why not? And so people steal. There's corruption. There's theft. But you see, Paul reminds us that we are part of a new culture. A new society. A new humanity. And the marks of this new humanity, this new culture, it's, it's defined by hard work and generosity. Uh, the, the word that Paul uses here for labor, uh, it, it means hard, physical, with your hands work, right? Doing honest work with his own hands. That's what Paul is calling his readers to. Uh, that would be, in Paul's day particularly, a very countercultural thing to say. Hard labor where you're actually doing something uh, physically demanding or, or, or mentally um, uh, exhausting, well, that, that would be, particularly the physical labor, that would be for, for slaves, servants, 
The good life is if you could just uh, be a poet or a philosopher, right? That's how the Greeks saw it. Uh, the life of the mind was, was the good life. Well, Paul sees uh, in a different way that the good life is, is not defined by leisure, but by hard work with your own hands so that you may have something to share with those in need. And that's what I really want you to focus here. It's, you know, we sort of have a, a, a Dutch work ethic. Many of us, we grew up uh, with our parents talking to us about, you know, don't be afraid of getting your hands dirty. Uh, don't be afraid of hard work. And, and uh, we live in a community where that's, uh, that, that is still eff- effective, that's still functioning. But Paul doesn't just call us to hard work. He calls us to hard work for a purpose. So that... He, we, may have something to share with anyone in need. That's the critical principle. Uh, This idea that God rewards hard work so that we can participate in generosity. That we can um, bless other people with what God has given to us. And so what Paul is after, you see, he isn't just someone who stops stealing and gets a job but someone who is completely transformed so they stop stealing, they get a job, and they start giving. Only the gospel can do that. Every religion would say it's wrong to steal. And so every religion would say, stop stealing and get a job. The gospel says, stop stealing and get a job and start giving. Generosity is what God is after. That's the mark of a converted person. A spirit-filled person. And in a world then full of corruption and self-centered consumption, Christians should be marked by abundant, evident generosity. Uh, The benevolent fund of a church will tell you a lot about how the gospel is working in that church. I love what our, what our deacons are doing. I love the, the generosity that the congregation shows. We had a wonderful... Um, Offering for Ukraine, I think it was over $20,000 for the brothers and sisters in Ukraine. Praise God. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. That the Holy Spirit will move us to generosity, glad generosity. Just remember what happened when Pentecost, right? The Holy Spirit is poured out and um, the first, one of the first signs of it, it, we find in Acts chapter 2, 4, excuse me, verse 32, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. That's the Holy Spirit at work. And brothers and sisters, let's pray that the Spirit would continue to uh, do that work in our own lives, that in in a culture that is just saturated with consumerism, materialism, uh, self-serving, that we would learn increasingly the joy of giving. It's a mark of a new man. The third mark is the mark of grace. The mark of a gracious mouth. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Think about the difference this could make in our conversations. The conversations we have at home, the conversations we have at work conversations we have in the body of Christ, if we apply this principle. A corrupting talk is talk that belittles others or, uh, more importantly, breaks down the unity in the body of Christ. It rots that unity. It undercuts the unity. 
what we learned in Jesus and what the Holy Spirit is striving to do is to teach us to talk differently. To, to, to talk in a way that builds up and fits the occasion and gives grace. That's, that's what the Spirit is at work to do. So it's talk that builds up and encourages people when they're, when they're spiritually weary or, or, or hurting. It comforts the grieving person. It's talk that maybe it's a word of rebuke or admonition to a brother and sister who's, who's straying. And we call them in truth back to Christ. I, I um, had the pleasure of spending this week with Chris Hartshorn, one of my favorite people. Um, and he's a, our regional home missionary for the uh, Presbytery of Southern California. And he came to help us with the seminar we were doing for church planters this week. And Chris was just sharing his own story of coming to faith. He had grown up in the church. And then when he was about 15, he decided he wasn't interested and just got completely involved in the life of the world and was hanging out with, uh, with uh, his buddies, unconverted buddies, and they were living it up. And then um, out of the blue, one of his buddies got converted. And so he goes to a party, and his friend is there, and something's, something's strangely different about him. And, and uh, so Chris asked him, what, what happened to you? And the guy says, I became a Christian. And Chris said, well, I'm a Christian. And his buddy said, no, you're not. <clears throat> and that was speaking truth in love in a way that uh, transformed his life as his, his newly converted friend rebuked him. It was life-giving. So we're to speak in a way that, that builds up and fits the occasion <clears throat> and gives grace to those who hear. It connects the grace of God to the situation uh, that, uh, of the brother and sister with whom we're speaking. You see, the primary reason God has given you a, a mouth, a tongue, is not so you can just express your opinion, but so that you can express the grace of God. You can, you can communicate the grace of God and the truth of God to those around you. And Paul bookends this conversation about gracious speech with warnings about the primary thing, or one of the, 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 the most common destroyers of gracious speech, and that is anger. Verse 26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, that verse is often used to justify righteous anger, and of course, there is such a thing as righteous anger. Moses was righteously angry when the Israelites sinned, and Jesus was righteously angry with the unbelief of the Pharisees. But Paul's purpose here is not to teach us how to be righteously angry, but he's teaching us the danger of our anger, which is almost always not righteous. Um, it gives the devil, Paul wants us to know, an opportunity to cause harm and division in the body. The thing that, you see, most tears at the fabric of love and unity in the church are not disagreements, but the anger that so often accompanies those disagreements. You see, if we're loving each other and listening to each other, we can disagree about all sorts of things, and it won't break down our unity and our love. But anger always does and always will, regardless of the issue. Anger is almost universally discouraged in Scripture. So it's no surprise when Paul says in verse 31, get rid of it. Get rid of all rage and anger. 
And James says in chapter 120, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry for man's anger does not produce the righteous life that God requires. You see, anger is, is against the peace and the unity of the church. Anger wounds people and it breaks friendships. Anger will cripple your marriage. Anger will harden your children's heart to you and to the things of God. It's a devastating evil. And what's surprising is how we treat it like a small thing. Uh, we justify it, right, by pointing to the ways that we were wronged. I've done that. We minimize it by saying things like, well, I'm just human, or I'm just an emotional person. We make excuses for it. Uh, we were just tired. We didn't really mean it. But you see, we tend to be very slow to acknowledge the wickedness of it. Uh, to acknowledge the vicious pride that was behind it and the devastating wounds caused by it. Anger is, it's of the devil. It's rooted in our pride. And so what we're commanded to do is confess it and flee every aspect of it, which is what Paul says in verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And there's sort of a, uh, descending order here. Um, so bitterness is just that slow resentment in your spirit. When, when every time you see that person, you, you feel the resentment. Um, wrath is what we usually call anger. It's, it's the sharp retort, the sharp response, cold shoulder. Anger is the white-hot fury that is usually vented then in clamor. The word clamor means to shout or to yell. And slander is what you do when it's all over. You, you now talk to somebody else about the unbelievable thing this person did and you say unkind things about them. And Paul wants us to know that that grieves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is grieved by that behavior because you see the Holy Spirit is after something diametrically opposed and different. That is not how we learn Jesus. And, and, and God gives us this word to speak right into where we live so that we realize that this is stuff that we cannot do as new creations. That we must repent of and turn from and pursue what is ours in Christ. And, and Paul tells us then exactly what that will look like in verse 32, the mark finally of kindness. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind to one another. It's such a simple thing, and yet it makes such a profound difference. When I'm doing premarital counseling, my one tip is be kind. Be kind. If you can be kind to one another, your marriage is going to thrive. Be tender-hearted. Tender-hearted just means you recognize the weakness of your brother and sister because you know your own. You recognize that we're all a work in progress. Forgiving one another probably the most tender-hearted and kind thing that we can do. And it, and, it, and it uniquely displays the power of the gospel and the nature of grace as we forgive each other. You see, forgiveness, kindness and tender-heartedness will overlook the sin. It, we just understand. But sometimes there are sins that are committed that can't be overlooked, that it, it's brought such a, a breach in the relationship or is such an offense to God that it has to be dealt with. Well, that's what forgiveness does. 
But forgiveness takes two parties. Let me just read a short quote from Kevin DeYoung in his new book on the Lord's Prayer. He's dealing with, forgive us our sins, forgive us our debtors, uh, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Kevin DeYoung writes this, Overcoming anger and resentment is important, but forgiveness is something more, something that involves two parties instead of one. Forgiveness is what we grant to people when they repent. Why we should always have an attitude of forgiveness and put forward a sincere offer of forgiveness, the fullest expression of biblical forgiveness happens when one side repents and the other side removes the moral debt he is owed. You see, the path to peace in the church when a wounding sin has been committed is for a brother or sister who has sinned to confess that sin, to repent of that sin, and then the person who's been sinned against to forgive that sin. Nothing is said here about, you know, these vague apologies, I'm sorry. Sorry for what? Sorry that I have such a thin skin? Or sorry that you actually did something that was offensive to God and, and to your brother? So the Bible, just you don't, you don't find the word I'm sorry there. It calls us to truth. If there's been sin committed, then let's confess it. Let's own it. Let's turn from it. And when there's confession and repentance, then we're called to forgive. You see, the Bible, the Bible requires us to forgive. Forgive, Paul says, as God in Christ forgave you. Well, that means when someone sins against you and confesses that sin... I'm sorry, it was wrong, it was against God, it was against love, it was against you, I should not have done it, and I'm, I'm asking you to forgive me. Well, then we forgive. Completely, sacrificially, as God in Christ. It took a cross for God to forgive us, and, and we, we forgive in that, in that manner. When somebody forgives, we're to forgive precisely because God has forgiven us. You see, how could we do anything else? How could we hold a, hold a grudge when we have a, a, a repentant brother or sister coming to us and asking, will you forgive me? And we refuse. There are, there are, there are folks um, who are exactly in that spot where they've been wounded, they've been sinned against, and someone has come to them and confessed the sin and repented of the sin and you refuse to forgive. And friend, if that's you this morning, uh, the, the Word of God just wants you to know you're in a very dangerous place. Because the Bible says, as you judge others, so God will judge you. And if, and if you forgive to forgive others, God will not forgive you. That's what Jesus teaches. It couldn't be more clear. And if you don't know how to do that, then get help. Just reach out to someone. Come and talk to me. Talk to Dr. Uh, Greg Norfleet. Get help. But don't, don't stay stuck. Now, some of you are, are struggling because you, you've been deeply sinned against and the person doesn't repent, and they, they haven't confessed it. And what do you do with that? Well, you still are we're free in the gospel to, to have a stance of forgiveness that in Christ we invite that person to a healed relationship as they repent, as they confess their sin. And we invite them to it, not because we're over them, but because this is the path that's true. And we can live in grace and peace as our hearts are open to receive that person as they confess their sin. You see, the gospel allows us to live in peace even when relationships aren't healed as they ought to be. Friends, we live in a world where the reality of sin is within us and all around us. And we deal with the, the, the brokenness that comes from it. 
But this, this morning we come to a table that represents the reality of grace and the reality of love and the reality of forgiveness for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this reality is, is meant by the power of the Holy Spirit to change the way we engage the reality of our life. It's meant to, to actually affect the way that we talk and the way that we work and the way that we, the way that we speak to other people uh, and the way we deal with our anger and the way that we deal with those who've sinned against us. This, this reality has the power to, to change all of that. And this morning, I invite you then to come to this table and to come to this reality with an eye to the reality of, of your own sin. Uh, all the ways that we've offended God and, and the reality of His love and grace to us. And then the reality of your relationships. And so take, take the hurt, take the brokenness, take the sin, the offenses, take, take all of it this morning to this table. Trusting that here is a reality and, and by the, that by the power of the Holy Spirit is actually able to change your life. To change the way you think, to change the way you talk, the, w- the way that you work, the way that you love. May God grant it. It's His purpose. Let's trust it together. Amen. <clears throat> well, God in heaven, I thank you that you speak directly into our lives. You speak truth into our lives, the truth about our sin, the truth about the grace that we've received, the truth about what your Holy Spirit is at work to do. Thank you, Lord, for every way that we can see evidences of growth in our life, where we can see that we are not what we once were. And Father, I thank you that we also have reasons to expect growth and change. Lord, forgive us for our anger. Forgive us, Lord, for our unforgiving hearts. Forgive us for the greed that keeps us from being generous or the fear that keeps us from a generosity. Father, I I pray that your spirit would change the way we speak and and the way we work and the way that we we engage in love. Lord, we want to be a church where supernatural realities are being evidenced through the day-to-day reality of our life how we do our marriages and how we raise our children and how we talk with friends and and how we speak uh, and engage with those who who have hurt us. And Father, we, we thank you that this morning you've given us a table where Jesus Christ promises to meet us and to to reveal and manifest grace to us that can transform us. And I pray, Lord, that we would receive that then in faith this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.